Exodus chapter 4. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. All right, let me read some very unusual verses tonight and uh, maybe let you in, maybe give you a little insight into something that maybe you've never thought about before or uh, this is certainly nothing new. But uh, just uh, bear with me for just a moment. Look at verse 24. And it came to pass by the way in the... Then what's the next word? In the end. That the Lord met him. Now the him that's talking about there is Moses. That the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. Now hold on. Hold on. God is trying to kill Moses. Well, that's what the Bible said. Then look at verse 25. Then Sephora, which is the wife of Moses, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet, at Moses' feet, and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband art thou, thou art because of the circumcision. Now reading that, you're probably sitting there scratching your head thinking, Preacher, what in the world does all that have to do with us? Well, I hope to be able to tell you this in about 15 minutes here tonight. So you bear with me if you will. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. I pray and help us tonight from the word of God to get an understanding of what happened at the end. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think back to a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday evening, you may remember that I started preaching through some of the various ends that are mentioned in the Bible. I told you at that time that God uses a variety of ways to picture or to illustrate the purpose of His church in the world. And one of the ways that God portrays the purpose of His church in the world is through the ends of the Bible. Now the word in, the I-N-N, -N, uh, the word in is only mentioned some five times throughout the Bible, but God uses those mentions of the word to aptly portray, to give us a picture of His church. Now every believer needs to be a part of a local church. We believe that. That's vitally important for our spiritual well-being. You know it is true that you can be a Christian without the church, but it's also true that you can't be a good Christian. You can't be a growing Christian, and you can't be a godly Christian without the church. The church is an absolute must for the success and spiritual well-being of every child of God. Well, looking at these ends, if you think back to, um, if you even remember this, a couple of Sunday evenings ago, we looked at the first time in the Bible where the word in, the I-N-N, -N, is mentioned in the Bible. And by the way, I'm calling this the in church. And when I say that, the in church, I'm not talking about a hip church. You know, we say sometimes, man, that's really, that's really in right now. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the in church. And we went back last time to the first time in the Bible where the word in is mentioned in the Bible in Genesis 42, about verse 26 or so. And it talks about the brethren of Joseph when they came to an inn. And it was there at the inn that they found out how rich, how wealthy that they really were. Remember, they came to the end. They'd been down into Egypt. They'd bought corn. They were on their way back to the land of Canaan when they stopped by an inn, probably just to spend the night. 
maybe a place to rest their animals. And the Bible said that they reached into to their sacks, to their sacks of grain and corn that they'd got down in the land of Egypt. And the Word of God tells us that they found their treasure, their, their wealth that was restored back in the sack. The money that they paid to buy that, Joseph had, had, um, had secretively put their money back in their sack. But they didn't find it out till they came to the end. So that leads me to say that, number one, that the end is a place of revelation for the brethren. There were some things that were revealed to the brethren there at the end uh, that they would not have found out had they not have gone to the end. And, of course, we know as we, you and I, make our way in and out of the end, church, there are some things revealed unto us by our heavenly Joseph and he reveals some things to us as we frequent the end. I'm talking about the church. Aren't you glad you got a church home? We revealed. It is revealed to us how wealthy that we are in the church. Boy, I found out. You know, I didn't understand all that happened to me the night that I got saved by the grace of God. I didn't really comprehend all that happened. I was just happy I didn't have to go to hell anymore. But boy, I began to find out as I become to, as I came back to the end and I got under an old-fashioned preacher and the Word of God began to be preached unto me and I began to read the Bible for myself. Boy, I found out. Boy, I got so much more than just missing hell when I got saved by the grace of God. I found out I had a lot of wealth in the sack, friend, and I found it out at the end how wealthy that I really was. Yes, sir. God revealed to me the treasures that I found in the person of our heavenly Joseph. Found out how wrong I was. Why, well, them old boys, when they reached back in those sacks and they found their, their wealth back in there, first thing they did is started thinking about how wrong that they had treated Joseph. Even though they didn't know that Joseph had done that for them, they started thinking about how wrong that they'd been to Joseph back those many years before. And boy, I'll tell you what, the more I come to church, the more I find out how wrong I I've been to my heavenly Joseph. Boy, how good he had been to me and how wrong that I've been to him. Then I found out how wounded I was. You know what? It was eventually that Joseph revealed his love and his grace to those boys there, those brethren that had done him so wrong. Why, when he finally revealed himself to those brethren, he told them to come here. And the Bible said they drew near unto him and he kissed them and he hugged them and he wept upon their neck. Boy, I found out how wanted I was there at the end. So number one, it leads me to say this, at the end, the end is the place of revelation for the brethren. Let me take it a step further now because here's the second time in our Bible that we run into the word end. And in this particular occasion, we find this out. We find that church is not only a place of revelation for the brethren, but church is also a place of restoration for the backslidden. Oh, how many times have you and I got out of sorts with God? How many times have you and I gotten crossways with our Lord? Boy, I'll tell you, we came back to the end, and it was there that God got a hold of our hearts, and God got us right with Him again, back into fellowship with Him once again. Now, we find that in the second mention of the word end in our Bible. It was a place where Moses got right with God. Now, I know you're probably sitting there thinking, Preacher, I've never, I've never even heard this before, but let me just clue you in on the fact of being rest restored, uh, restoration to the backslidden, 
there at the end. First of all, number one, restoration for the backslidden involves, number one, confrontation. If you and I are going to get right with God, when we get out of sorts with God, we're going to have to be confronted about what we've done. Now, if you look in our text now, if you look there at verse 24, we find that God had met Moses and was going to kill Moses. Now, probably you're sitting here before and you may, uh, sitting here tonight, you may think, I've never heard this before in my life. But what had happened was Moses had got out of the will of God. Moses had, had become disobedient to the Lord. Maybe in our terminology, we would say it like this, Moses had become backslidden on the Lord. Now, I'm talking about Moses, the man that God called to be the great leader of the people of God out of the Egyptian bondage. I mean, we remember that story back in chapter 3 at the burning bush on top of Mount Horeb, how God revealed unto Moses that he was the one that he was going to use to deliver his people out of the misery and out of the slavery of the land of Egypt. But there's more to that than just meets the eye. Because let me tell you, before Moses ever met God at that burning bush on top of Mount Horeb in chapter number 3, God had already helped Moses to understand that he was going to be the one he was going to be the deliverer of the nation of Israel from Egyptian bondage. He knew that before Exodus chapter 3. Now, the reason I say that is because what we read in other places in the Bible. For instance, over in the book of Acts, we read verses that go something like this right here. And when he, Moses, was full 40 years old, it came in his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now, wait a minute before we go any farther. Moses lived to be 120 years old, and his life... Life can be divided into four, or I'm sorry, three sections of 40 years. The first 40 years, Moses spent down the land of Egypt. The second 40 years, Moses spent on the backside of the desert. And the last 40 years of his life, he spent leading the nation of Israel uh, through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Now we understand from this verse, when he was 40 years old, he went to visit his brethren. Now this is while he is still down in the land of Egypt, and it came into his heart to go visit his brethren, the nation of Israel. And here's what he found. The next verse said this. And seeing one of them, one of the Israelites, suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed, and he smote the Egyptian. So here was an Egyptian that was hurting one of the Israelite men. And the Bible said that when Moses saw that, that he avenged that man. Boy, I want to tell you, he killed that Egyptian who was doing harm to the nation of Israel. While we read in the next verse something like this, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them uh, would deliver them, but they understood not. Wait a minute. By the way, this is before Exodus 3. This is before the great experience on top of Mount Horeb. Moses knew during that first 40 years of his life that God had already chosen him to be the great deliverer of the nation of Israel. I guess when we come to that Exodus chapter 3 text, uh, when Moses is on top of Mount Horeb, God is reaffirming or God is recommissioning Moses uh, and telling Moses he is the one to lead the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Here's what we read a little bit further in Acts chapter 7 text, and it said this, And the next day he showed himself unto them, unto the nation of Israel. There were two of them that strove together and would have set them at one again. In other words, he intervened and said, Now, boys, look, we're family. We're family. Family is not supposed to act like this. Can I have an amen? We are family. You know, at the end of the day, all you got is your family. 
And he says to them, we're family. Uh, he set them at one again saying, Sirs, we are brethren. Why do you wrong one to another? Now these are two Israelite men who are fighting. Moses interrupts the fight, says, Guys, look, man, we're family, we're brethren. What are you doing to one another? And the next verse says this, But he that, de- that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who may be a ruler and a judge over us? So one of these Israelite men thrust, pushes Moses away and says, Look, man, who made you a judge? Who made you a deliverer? And then here's what he said, Wilt thou kill me? as thou didst be Egyptian yesterday. You know what happened right there? That initial revelation to his brethren that he was the one that God had called to be their deliverer was rejected by the, by the nation of Israel. Moses has now revealed himself to his brethren. I'm the one who's going to bring you out of Egyptian bondage. And he was rejected at his first coming. He was rejected at his first revelation of that great truth. So what happens? Moses runs away. Moses, watch this, backslides on the Lord. And for the next 40 years, he flees into the desert. And he lives in the desert. He meets up with uh, Jethro and he marries Zephora, Jethro's daughter. And for 40 years, he stays on the backside of that desert. By the way, evidently got his feelings hurt. When he revealed himself to his brethren and they thrust him away and said, Hey, are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian yesterday? And they rejected him. Maybe he got his feelings hurt just a little bit. How many of us know what it's like to get your feelings hurt by your brethren? Can I have an amen? How many of you have been in some kind of a church setting before and, and uh, somebody hurt your feelings, said something negatively about you or maybe even negatively to you and it hurt your feelings and a lot of people because of that get out of the will of God. That's exactly what happened to Moses. He left the land of Egypt. He goes on the backside of the desert. Forty years later, God comes back to Moses and said, Hey, Moses, don't you remember? I've called you on top of Mount Horeb. Hey, get your shoes off. This is a holy place. I have called you to be my deliverer. And Moses, with hurt feelings, and Moses, with that bitterness of, of all, he meets God again, once again, on top of Mount Horeb. But to show you what a spiritual mess Moses had become, in our text, Moses had got so far away from God, so backslidden on the Lord that he had failed to even circumcise his own son. You say, preacher, big deal. Well, it was a big deal because circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God had made with the people of Israel. That was a sign. There were two signs that God established with his people. One was the Sabbath day, and the other one was circumcision. Now, the Sabbath day is not a covenant that God entered into with His church. We meet on the Lord's day, not the Sabbath day. Can I have an amen? amen? We meet on the Lord's day. This is not the Sabbath day. This is the Lord's day. But the second sign of that covenant was the sign of circumcision. Here's what we read about in Genesis 17. We read these words right here. In Genesis 17, verse 10, This is my covenant, God says, with, Mo, with Abraham, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. God said this is a part of this covenant, this agreement, this contract, this... Uh, this covenant that we're entering into 
is Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. But now, boy, as a part of the sign of this covenant, you and every man-child that is born in the land of Israel must be circumcised. We furthermore read this right here. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And then he goes on a little bit later in that same chapter and says this, And the uncircumcised man, uh, man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. The same, if a Jew rejected circumcision, it was almost as bad as me and you rejecting Christ because he was put out of the nation of Israel. He was put out of the covenant if he rejected circumcision. Now, for crying out loud, here's Moses. He's got his feelings hurt. He's, uh, he's got bitterness in his heart. And here he has all these years because he got hurt down the land of Egypt when he revealed himself to his brethren. Here he is all these years later. He hasn't circumcised his boy. And God said, you been living in disobedience and the Lord met him and sought to kill him at the end. Now don't you look this way. You and I don't take disobedience. We take it very lightly. We even laugh about becoming disobedient to the Lord. I've even had people tell me this before. I guess I'm just one of them old backsliders. <laughs> we, 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 we're too casual about our relationship with the Lord. I mean, we're up and down. We're on and off. We're in and out. We're hot and cold. And we, and we don't even care most of the time. But I want to tell you, brother, when it comes to God, he takes this relationship very, very seriously. In fact, God met Moses and was going to kill him at the end. Why? Because he was living a life of disobedience. You and I may take the Bible, we may take God, we may take church in a very flippant manner, we may even take our relationship with God uh, 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 very flippantly, uh, but I tell you, brother, God takes this relationship that he has with us very, very seriously. Now, I want to tell you something. Moses is in bad shape here. Let me tell you what many believe in this text. Many people think, because if you look at our text, you'll find that Sephora circumcised the boy and not Moses. Most people believe that Moses was flat on his back, sick as a dog, almost at the point of death because God was going to kill him because he was living a life of disobedience. And God met him here at the end to confront him about his disobedience. Now look this way. Some of y'all are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Saying, Preacher, we ain't never heard this before in our life, but can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? How many of y'all see it in this text that God is upset with Moses because he's living a life of disobedience? Why do you and I want to live lives of disobedience and endanger ourselves with a God who is holy and righteous and just and true? And why in the world do you, you and I want to live our lives in disobedience, not even understanding the danger that we in when we turn our backs and disobey the Lord? I'm going to tell you something. I say again, we take this relationship far too flippantly. God met him and was going to kill him because of his disobedience. I wonder who God's wanting to meet in here and kill. <laughs> <laughs> because of their disobedience to the Lord. 
I wonder, as bad as what I'm about to say may sound, it is true that God sometimes places people flat on their back because of their disobedience. We don't like that. You know the New Testament word for that is chastisement. The Bible said, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And I just want to tell you something, friend. You start living a life of disobedience. You start living a flippant life concerning your relationship with God. And I'm here to tell you, God takes it very seriously that His Son had to give His body and shed His blood for you and me so that we could be, uh, become God's child. God takes that relationship very flippantly. So He meets Moses here at the end to confront him about his disobedience. Well, I don't know about you, but I thank God for those times in my life when He's confronted me. Boy, I thank God for those messages that have been messages of confrontation along the way. When I was getting out of sorts with God and I was getting crossway, maybe I'd got my feelings hurt. Maybe I'd become a little bitter in my heart because of what somebody had done to me or said about me or whatever. And I was getting a little bit bitter and getting crossways and, and getting to the point that I had an I don't care attitude. I'm glad God had a preacher once in a while to stand up with an open Bible and to confront me about my backslidden condition. To confront me about my disobedience. To bring me to the point that I was willing, willing to get right with God. Thank God for those services that I've been in. When God, excuse me for saying it like this, but I thank God for them services that I've been in when God rung my bell, when God dialed my number, when God called my name because he was wanting to confront me. He loved me so much that he wasn't going to let me continue down the road that I was going down. And he met me at the end so he could confront me and get me right with God, get me right with himself. Don't ever get mad at a preacher who stands up and preaches the word of God and God begins to confront you about the wrong in your life, about the disobedience in your life, about the rebellion in your life. Buddy, I'm telling you, when God does that, it's a love message from God to you because He loves you so much. He don't want you to continue down that road. And ladies and gentlemen, because He might have to meet you somewhere and seek to kill you to get you right with Himself once again. As strange as it may sound, God uses things like death and disease and disaster and shoulder surgeries <laughs> to get you right with Him. Amen. The end was a place of confrontation. Let me say secondly in this text, we find that the end was not only a place of confrontation, but it was a place of consecration. You see, what happened was this, this disobedience in Moses' life has got to be corrected. Things can't just continue on like they are. And let me just say this. If you and I can live lives of disobedience and things just continue like they are, that might be a good sign that you've never been saved to begin with. Can I have an amen? The Bible said if you be without chastisement, I'm quoting King James, Hebrews 12, 8. If you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, God said, then are you illegitimate? Then are you bastards? 
God's Word and not sons. So what happens in this text is this. Moses has got to be corrected. But before he can be corrected, he's got to be confronted. I want to say again, thank God for them, confront, them confrontational services that I've been in in this walk of life. I'm glad there's been some times when God had a preacher to stand up behind a pulpit and to confront me. It's almost like they were confronting me as if nobody else was in the room. Have you ever been in a service like that before where God was talking to you when God was ringing your bell, when God was dialing your number, when God was, when, when God was getting on you personally because God was trying to confront you about some disobedience that was in your life which led to a correction or a consecration. Notice what happens next in our text. So the Bible said, Then Sephora took a sharp stone. Moses can't do it. Moses evidently, from what I'm reading from different writers, was at the point of death. Moses may have been on his deathbed. And Moses said, hey, we got to get this right. And so the Bible said that he, he can't do it himself, but he has somebody to do it so that things can become right between him and the Lord once again. By the way, can I stop and say this? It isn't always easy to make things right. If you look in our text, even his own wife was against him. Why, the Bible said on two occasions in this text, she didn't understand. Moses probably called her in and said, Honey, you know them boys that we got? We didn't circumcise them boys. I've been out of the will of God for all these years. When they rejected me, when I went and revealed myself to them, I got my feelings hurt. I got full of bitterness, and I've been living on the backside of this desert for the last 40 years out of the will of God. Honey, we got to get this right. Call them boys in here. It's not going to be pleasant, but them boys have got to be circumcised. She didn't understand it. She even resisted it, even though she did it. And I'm just here to tell you, friend, Sometimes the road to correction and the road to get right with God is going to be met with some great resistance in your life. Sometimes from those who are nearest to you, who may love you the most, they may resist it. But I'm here to tell you, when you make up your mind, you got to get right with God and nothing's going to stand in your way. Business is going to pick up in your life when you want to get right with God. So he confronts this need and Zephora takes a sharp stone and circumcises this boy. You know what she's doing? She's cutting away the disobedience. And can I stop and say this? If you and I are going to be right with God, we're going to have to take the, take, take the sharp sword of the Word of God and cut away the fleshly disobedience in our life so we can become right with God once again. Amen and amen. amen. It involved consecration. It involved a cutting away. What is it that needs to be cut away from your life tonight so that you can become right with God? Who is it that you need to, who is it that you need to make things right with tonight? Who is it? What is what what bitterness is in built up in your heart? So, so much to the point that you need to maybe just get on the altar and confess it to God and then go hug somebody's neck. Come on. Hey, what is it that you have done? in disobedience to God that has brought the judgment of God down upon your life. Hey, why don't you take the sword of God's word and cut that away tonight so you can become right with God. Amen and amen. It involved confrontation. It involved consecration. 
And last of all, it involved continuation. Look at verse 26. Here's what the Bible said. So he let him go. Now, when you read that, if you're not careful, you'll misunderstand the text. So let me read it to you like this, verse 26. So God let him go. What does that mean? God said, okay now, Moses, me and you are right again. The disobedience has been cutting away, cut, cut away. Things are now right between us. Now I want you to go back and I want you to lead my people out of the land of Egyptian slavery and misery. And the next appearance that we have of Moses in our text, he's standing before Pharaoh saying, Thus saith the Lord God, let my people go. You know what he's done? He's got right with God. Now he can continue on in his journey with the Lord. I think I'll just go with God. But sometimes if you're going to go with God, you've got to be confronted and corrected so you can continue on your journey with God. And let me say it like this. I'm glad I got an end that I can go to. And God, every once in a while, I have a preacher to stand up and confront me so I can get right and go on with God. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer.